Over 66,000 homeless people currently live in Los Angeles County. It's an issue that has bedeviled LA, the land of sunshine and dreams for decades. Everyone seems to have an idea on how to solve it. None seem to work. Then last month, a federal judge issued an order. House everyone on Skid Row, the historical epicenter of homelessness in Los Angeles. House everyone by October or else. I'm Gustavo Arellano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Today is May 3rd, 2021. India continues to see record cases and deaths over COVID-19. Trillions of cicadas are about to emerge in the Midwest and East Coast. And hey, Ma, it's our first episode. Among everything that COVID-19 made worse, there is nothing more dire or more invisible than its impact on homelessness. Unnecessary deaths, economic devastation, gentrification. The problem will only get worse. Will forcing cities to shelter people on the streets be a revolutionary move or ill-timed judicial grandstanding? I'll speak with LA Times reporter Ben Oreskes and longtime homeless activist Reverend Andy Bales about a move that could test whether there's enough political will to solve homelessness in LA once and for all. When we talk about the political will to solve homelessness, we have to talk about what's already been tried. What has worked, what has it, and what would motivate a sweeping order by a federal judge? Ben Oreskes covers housing for the LA Times. Congratulations, Gustavo. <laughs> you're, you're guest number one, so. What an honor. Let us do such an invigorating conversation that we'll get 50 million downloads. I'm ready. All right, man. So for people who don't know, describe what actually is Skid Row. Where is it located? How big is it? Who's living here? A stone's throw from downtown L.A., you have a about 50-block radius of areas in our city that have historically been where uh, sort of hotels for poorer people have been. And over the last 50 to 100 years, this has been an area that's become known as Skid Row. It, it, it dates back to the 50s and 40s. And in the last two decades or so, uh, it has also become a site of sort of some of the most extreme and intense and most visible unsheltered homelessness in Los Angeles. And here's a LAPD cop touring Skid Row with one of our reporters in 2016. Right now in Skid Row, year to date, last year, we have a, about a 71% increase in robberies. That's huge. We have a 73% increase in aggravated assaults. And we have a 91% increase in rapes. And the rapes are happening, a lot of them are happening right in those tents that we see. So we're talking about rows and rows of people living on the streets outside of large uh, mission-style shelters and detox centers. Uh, it's sort of a place where lots of the services for our county's neediest have kind of gravitated. They've built them all there. And as a result, people have gravitated there. And so you see some of the most intense forms of poverty that exist in the United States, uh, right next to some of the tallest buildings in our country. What is your day like then? Just like this, my day is just like this. Even if it was sunny outside, it would still be overcast and gloomy. Just, just like this. I used to be somebody. Now I'm, uh, now I'm somebody else, you know what I mean? So I have a high school involvement and a college degree. They looking at us like we're homeless. You don't call it homeless, you call it houseless. I'm houseless because I don't have a house. Homeless is a state of mind. That was from the same 2016 L.A. Times documentary we heard from earlier. It was a series that examined homelessness across L.A. County. And in this particular clip, 
You saw rows upon rows of encampments in downtown. And all of this next to Michelin-starred restaurants, the whole hipster DTLA scene, all within walking distance of that. It's a stark, stark contrast, but inequality in California has just sort of skyrocketed. And this is the most sort of visible manifestation of extreme poverty and a failed sort of social safety net, leaving many people, mostly people of color, sort of on the streets and in crisis. Here's California Governor Gavin Newsom tackling the issue in his 2020 State of the State address. Let's call it what it is. It's a disgrace that the richest state in the richest nation succeeding across so many sectors is falling so far behind to properly house, heal, and humanely treat so many of its own people. So how bad did coronavirus devastate Skid Row? It was one of these things where we were waiting for just a huge outbreak. And you'll hear from your other guests, Reverend Bales, about one that did take place at his shelter, the Union Rescue Mission. You know, on a given night before coronavirus, there are a thousand people who could sleep in there. And they had an outbreak in March or April of a hundred or so people. And it resulted in a couple of deaths. And basically, the worst fear of government and activists was that a huge outbreak would sweep through the homeless population. And we're talking about a group of people with comorbidities, lots of people who are very sick. It's what maybe drove them into homelessness or made it so that they stayed on the street. And that this pandemic would hurt them the most. Our our worst fears never came to fruition. And I think it's important to credit some action by government that may have forestalled that or prevented it from happening. The city, county, and state went to Great Lakes to rent hotel rooms to place homeless people who were vulnerable to the virus. They had set out to rent 15,000 rooms in the county. They never got more than 4,000. But at the same time, they were able to get people out of these shelters. And we have seen that basically the number of homeless deaths from coronavirus has tracked with the proportion of them in the county. That said, it's a hard population to track. And I think many people think there might have been more deaths. But at the same time, the impact on people living on the streets in terms of getting services, getting food, panhandling, was severely impacted because these are people who are dealing with the regular population and in many cases need the charity of those people. And Skid Row is just one population where the unhoused gather all over L.A., under bridges and overpasses. There's people who are living in tents and in dire conditions. It's such an issue that in 2017, voters decided more money would solve the problem. They approved a quarter cent sales tax, which is projected to put $3.5 billion over 10 years into homeless services. So, Ben, so far, what projects has that money been used for? So over the last five or six years, we've had two big tax and bond measures. The one that you mentioned, Measure H, funds services throughout the county. It's been affected by the pandemic in terms of the loss of sales, but we're talking about $350 million a year to help fund detox programs, outreach, things like that. And then there was Proposition Triple H. This was a city bond measure, $1.3 billion to fund maybe about 7,500 units of permanent supportive housing. This is the kind of housing for people who are dealing with the most acute crises that we're talking about the street and need the most care going forward. It's not for everyone. It's for the people who are in the worst situations. That housing has been slow to start being built. But 
This year, LA is going to spend about $365 million working on about 5,000 of those units. They're not all going to be open this year, but we're really seeing the beginning of the construction of that. In late April, the mayor's released his budget proposal that will have to go through the city council. But he committed about a billion dollars for homelessness. Much of it will go to constructing these units of permanent supportive housing that I mentioned. But there were other things in there. There was money for cleanups. There was money to build more shelters. There was money for outreach. The politicians in our city recognize that aside from COVID recovery, Homelessness is the biggest crisis we're facing, and their constituents are mad as hell about it, and they want to see change. After this break, the decision by a federal judge that upends everything. We're speaking with my colleague, Ben Oreskes. So Ben, there's Judge David Carter. He's a legend in the judicial world for this unorthodox style that demands actions from politicians and has little patience for promises. He was assigned in 2020 to preside over a lawsuit that challenged LA's strategy of building permanent housing for the cities and house instead of focusing on temporary shelters. And then in April, he made a ruling. What did he say? Your description of Carter is is right on point. I first met him in Anaheim in the shadow of Do- of Angel Stadium, not Dodger Stadium. And we walked the riverbed, which where he was presiding over a, a court case, not unlike the one we're seeing here. To me, it's so interesting because in L.A., I sense all this animosity against Judge Carter, while in Orange County, uh, politicians praise him all the time. Here's a clip with Orange County District Attorney Todd Spitzer talking about Judge Carter. Judge Carter's recognizing that the Board of Supervisors in the county has an executive function. He's obviously part of the judicial branch. I think he wants to make sure his order's not too overreaching, but he kept using the word humane over and over and over. And I think we're taking that to heart. This is a man who would go out there every morning at 5 a.m., talk to the people. And he, since this case, which was brought by a group of downtown business owners and residents, he's been doing the same thing in L.A. Everyone on Skid Row knows him. The homeless people know him. The advocates know him, the politicians. He will show up at encampments. He's talking to the people. And he's been presiding over this case for the last year that came just as the pandemic was sort of coming into full picture, our understanding of how bad it was going to be. And so in late April, he dropped a bomb. It it can only be described in that way, where he basically, and he had been hinting that this might come. He gave the politicians until the end of October to offer housing or shelter to every homeless person who's living on the streets of Skid Row. And there are different deadlines in there for people who are unaccompanied minors and women, but essentially it's going to require a sort of reorienting of resources to make this happen. And the politicians in our city are very angry about this. Both the city, the county, and interveners in the case who are advocates for homeless people have appealed it. Yeah, you know, there's some people who have celebrated Judge Carter's order, including a guest that we're going to talk to right after you. But it seems most people are just uproarious. They're angry at this. Where where does this anger come from? I would sort of sort it into a couple of different buckets. You have politicians from the city and county who essentially make the argument that we have a plan. We are doing it. And this disrupts it. It would freeze money. It would distract the focus of the experts that they have. There's also another sort of line of criticism. And this comes a lot from advocates for the unhoused, lawyers who have litigated cases like this in the past, 
and people who are homeless themselves, who sort of see this order as a lowest common denominator form of help. The judge is not saying you need to put everyone in a house by October. He's saying you need to find them shelter. What does shelter mean? It means a congregate space. It means maybe a sanctioned tent encampment, a safe parking lot. These interim solutions, which are necessary and we need lots of, but for many people, they see this as a precursor to a broad-scale criminalization of homelessness in L.A., which many have argued already is in effect, but that this would kind of push the button even further, push the envelope even further. Because one of the things in Carter's order, and one of the things that has been part of a broader settlement discussion that's being had between the plaintiffs in this case, who are business owners and residents, not homeless people, has been the talk about how to enforce anti-camping ordinances. There's a whole context to this that I think your readers should go read about. They should go learn about the Boise v. Martin case. But the idea here is that L.A. is very limited in how they can enforce rules about sitting, sleeping, and lying on the streets. And Carter has basically said, if you make these offers of shelter, I will not get in the way of you enforcing constitutional ordinances to limit camping and limit tents, which is, in many people's views, the goal of this. Yeah, you mentioned Boise v. Martin. That's another federal case that has influenced hugely how people are enforcing homeless folks who camp in streets. It allows them to actually be on the streets if there's not enough shelters. And that's been very influential over the past decade or so, especially as homelessness has blown up across the United States. Do you see Judge Carter's order having that type of influence on how politicians tackle homelessness across the United States? I could see a scenario where this case will go to the Ninth Circuit. So just for context, Boise v. Martin applies to the nine Western states that are in the Ninth Circuit of Court. It's a case out of Idaho where basically a federal judge found that it is cruel and unusual punishment. It's an Eighth Amendment violation to ticket people or punish them for sleeping on the street or in a park if you have nowhere to shelter them. It was a massive deal. The Supreme Court ended up not taking the case, so it's the law of the land in the Western United States. And what was significant about it, though, is it was vague in terms of what is considered appropriate shelter. And everyone is sort of trying to figure that out. And Carter's order, which is going to be appealed to the Ninth Circuit, will maybe offer some clarity about that. And he is being very clear about saying shelter or housing. And that is what worries advocates for people. I, you know, I spoke recently with one of the lawyers involved in the Boise case who represented homeless people, and he worries about how this case, if, you know, judges at a higher court sort of dealt with the arguments that are in it, could actually lead to sort of undermining of his larger effort, which is to create a right to housing in America. And that's a long way off. That is not something that is enshrined in our Constitution. And many people don't think the Supreme Court, as it's currently constituted, would ever kind of allow that. So Carter's ruling is significant because it could very much narrow what is considered an appropriate form of shelter. And at the same time, there's this other aspect of it, where Carter is using a legal argument about ordering cities to use their money in a certain way. And courts have not always bought that. And what many advocates also worry is that a judge would read this appeal and say, it's not the place of another judge to tell a city how to spend its money or prioritize policy. And for many advocates for homeless people, they want judges telling 
officials to do certain things. They just don't want them to do this thing. So on homelessness, you're saying as goes L.A., so is going to go the rest of the country. So what are going to be the implications of Carter's order for the rest of the country? So Carter's order is very narrow. It's talking about one place. But people look at Skid Row and sort of see the most extreme version of poverty in America. And it's also sort of a microcosm of the problems we have here in terms of inequality and visible suffering on the streets. And I think that L.A. has also been a testing lab for solutions to homelessness. We have some of the best permanent supportive housing for people. We are trying different things in terms of interim housing, in terms of tiny homes. All of these different models are being tested here because we have the biggest problem. And so if this order is enacted, they are going to have to, the they there being the government, is going to have to scramble to figure out a way to address these people's plight. And I think that will be something that people across the country will be watching very closely. I think that lawsuits like this will become more commonplace. Last year, one similar one, a federal lawsuit about nuisance abatement and and sort of the unconstitutional nature of people living on the streets uh, was filed in San Francisco. It was settled, but it, it showed that people are kind of trying to use this avenue to address people's problems. And I think we could see more of it. I also know that people are just watching this case because they see LA and they see sunshine and they see Hollywood. And then there's all these homeless people. And what do they do about it? And that is what I hear from my friends across the country. And I think that's what many people hear as well. Thank you so much, Ben. Thank you. Ben Oreskes covers housing for the LA Times. After this break, we'll talk to a homeless advocate in Skid Row about his reaction to Judge Carter's decision and also about the future of Skid Row. Stick around. The Reverend Andy Bales is the CEO of Union Rescue Mission, which has helped people on Skid Row since 1891. He spoke to me about Judge Carter's decision and the future of Skid Row. First off, Reverend, how have you been? I know it's been a tough year for everyone, and there was about 170 COVID cases and four deaths among Union Rescue residents and staff. Yes, well, it's been the toughest year of my long life, I guess 62-year life, but uh, more than that, it's been the most difficult year in the 130-year history of Union Rescue Mission, and it's been uh, a fight for the lives of our guests, a fight for our own lives in, in the battle of our lives. And I, I've got to tell you that finally that uh, very heavy COVID-19 chest pressure has left me, although uh, the concerns and the, and the worries have not because we've had a recent breakout and uh, we've actually had people who've been fully vaccinated get COVID. We've had people get COVID two and three times. It's the most mysterious illness uh, I've ever experienced. Wow. But you didn't get COVID. I avoided COVID. I was very cautious. I remember uh, wearing my mask so tight, making sure that no air was escaping, wearing a couple masks along with a, a thing that looked like Darth Vader. I, I, Even though I welcomed guests as they arrived, some with COVID, I was as cautious as, as anyone can be. So how's it been trying to get unhoused residents under roofs during this pandemic? It's been difficult. It's been like playing chess with a monster genius uh, in, in all ways. Quarantine areas within the building, putting people in hotels who 
needed to come in but couldn't come in right away because of the social distancing and not having enough space at the mission. Uh, it has been a, a team effort playing against a, uh, a genius. Then in April, Judge Carter issues this huge decision that ordered Los Angeles to house every homeless person here in Skid Row. What are your thoughts on it? Well, I have to admit to you, Gustavo, that I came to Union Rescue Mission 16 years ago to make that happen. And so this is an answer to prayer for me. I've done everything in my capacity to help it happen. Uh, I'm still praying that the city and the county won't be disingenuous and say, oh, we can't pull it off in three months or six months when they're actually planning to appeal for three months. No, we can't pull it off if they appeal. And I, I have to be honest with you, I've been very perturbed and very uh, heartbroken about the pushback from L.A. City and L.A. County and uh, even media outlets, <laughs> important media like L.A. Times uh, writing editorials attacking the judge. Yeah, no, you disagree with our editorial board. And in fact, you've actually hailed Judge Carter as a hero, though, for his decision. Why? He just, he will not tolerate five people dying yesterday, five people dying today, and five people dying tomorrow. And that's the same feeling I have. Why would we continue with the slow pace of developing very expensive housing for a few Believe me, there's only been 587 units as of last week out of 10,000 proposed in four and a half years. How in the world can the city continue to meet the need by slowly offering housing uh, while thousands of people have died? 5,700 people died during that time that 587 units were, were placed. If we continue at this pace and with the status quo, Thousands upon thousands will die. And those numbers are from the city's Housing and Community Investment Department. Yes, and uh, the case is really a reversal. So for five decades at least, the city and the county have practiced a corralling and containment practice. And this is a reversal, a decentralization of Skid Row and a regionalization of services throughout the county. And I, I've encouraged everybody, hey, we, we need to put 60% of the people on Skid Row. We need to give them the opportunity to live outside of Skid Row. Otherwise, if we build all the housing on Skid Row, we will continue the practice of corralling and containment. And we will continue to make this the most biggest man-made disaster in the United States. Skid Row is absolutely the largest man-made disaster in the United States, and it's deadly. I don't know why anybody is fighting against this order. This is a very complicated issue with a long history, of course. There's been so many commissions studying this, social workers and hundreds of volunteers out here trying to provide services. Billions spent over the decades. It's not going to be easy, and Judge Carter wants it done by October. Yes, and I'm, I had somebody argue with me yesterday on a call, and they said, we want permanent housing. I thought mobile homes or tiny homes or 3D printed concrete homes or container homes are permanent. They just aren't costing 600000 to a million. You have to be more practical and efficient. And that's what the judge called for. Lots of people are setting up a straw man argument. No, we don't want shelter. People need more than shelter. Hey, this thing doesn't call for everybody placed in shelter. Shelter of some kind, a roof of some kind, housing of some kind. There's not the political will. There's never been the political will. It's almost like 
that proposal to handle homelessness with half a million to a million dollar units, that's as practical as saying we're gonna solve it with condos on the moon. If your plan doesn't ever get the job done, is it even a sincere plan? Or do you plan on allowing everybody who's sick and dying on the streets to die? It's, it, it, you know, a cynic would say, yeah, it's a plan that is no plan. If this was a hurricane or a tornado or an earthquake, we wouldn't balk at putting everybody back in a home in three months. Why are people fighting against what is good and life-saving for people who are devastated on the streets? Is this the way forward, though, to solve homelessness across the United States, judges issuing sweeping mandates the way Judge Carter did? Well, it is probably particular to Los Angeles because I've never been in a more selfish, less (laughs) compassionate spot than I'm in now. And it's a selfishness I've not experienced in other places. I mean, let's take New York City. They have more people devastated by homelessness. They leave 4% on the streets. We leave 75% of the people on the streets. And if everybody doesn't like shelters, then let's build enough shelters to get everybody off the streets while we build the housing in a more practical way. But don't just do nothing and, and leave the status quo of leaving people to suffer and die on the streets. And that death is no picnic. They're being raped and robbed and beaten while they die. My heart can't take it. Finally, of course, you're a man of God and words bring comfort. So what's a biblical verse that illustrates what's ahead for the unhoused on Skid Row? Well, God has plans that are bigger and better than they can even hope or dream if we will all work together uh, to, to get this done. I mean, this is indeed an answer to prayer if we follow through and carry out. And I guess another one is we are our brother's keeper. You know, uh, Cain asked God, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer to that question is yes, we are our brothers and sisters keepers and it's time to care more about our neighbors than even ourselves. Thank you so much for this interview, Reverend. Thank you, Gustavo. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn and Denise Guerra. Our executive producer is Abby Fentress Swanson. Our engineer is Mario Diaz, and our theme music is by Andrew Epen. Special thanks to Doug Smith and Mitchell Landsberg. I'm Gustavo Arellano. Thanks for listening to our first episode. Yay! More, more, more. Please subscribe. We'll have a lot more coming soon. 
Tomorrow, we'll have an episode about the genocide of Uyghurs in China from the perspective of a Southern California restaurant owner. Stay tuned and gracias.